Mystery Jackpot Club Club Mystery Mystery Jackpot Club Club Mystery Welcome to the Mystery Record Club. I'm Dan Cooper, and somewhere close by, and a little bit under the weather, I understand, um, is my co-host, Sam Whaley. Apart from feeling a bit crappy today, how are you doing, dude? I'm actually feeling much better than I was feeling this morning, so I'm, I'm feeling quite happy at the minute. Oh, that's really good. That's good to hear, man. That, that's awesome. Um, I just want to know as well, what have you been listening to this week in terms of music? Oh, wow. This week, I've had quite a lot of stuff on... Um something i'm not going to reveal to you just yet till the end of the show <laughs> uh, but yeah i've been listening to a lot of punk rock actually uh i've been listening to a lot of afi this week fantastic man throwing it back to the old school i understand it was the uh 20th anniversary of black sales in the sunset by afi that's right yeah. which is uh, a real classic from back in the day for me absolutely loved that one so you know it's it's crazy that that is 20 years old but you know it's gotta happen what have you been listening to man I've I've been listening to quite a bit of stuff, but today I found this awesome record. I, I think you might like it as well. I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy called Devin Townsend. I have. Um, he's like kind of this virtuoso musician, kind of a bit metally, but he tends to do all kinds of things. He's got this new record out called Empath. Yeah. And the only way I can describe it is it sounds like everything possible in the metal spectrum but like mixed with movie kind of scores and stuff like that it's just i couldn't take it all in i'm gonna need about 10 listens yeah devin but, townsend yeah. is awesome did you ever listen to any of the strapping young lad stuff as well i love strapping young lad that's his more metal side isn't it really uh when it comes to the more extreme stuff but he he had so many projects on the go and he's got quite a lot of titles as well like the devin townsend project just devin townsend on his own then you've got all these little solo things like ocean machine i think that's what it was called anyway yeah he's uh huge in the uh prog rock sort of genre that's that's kind of the vibe I was getting from this, but there was so much more. There was like blast beats as if there was like incorporating black metal and death metal into it. Yeah. It was just, it, I, I couldn't take in the scope. I need, I need a few more listens, but yeah, that that's what I've been listening to this week. Yeah, here's hoping that everyone else uh, out there is good too. Just to go over the one and only rule of Mystery Record Club, at the end of each episode, Sam picks a mystery record for me, I pick one for him, and the next week we talk about those records. We've also noticed over the past few weeks, uh, SoundCloud and Spotify have been receiving a few more hits than normal. So thank you everybody for supporting the show, and please keep spreading the word. We love doing this, and we'd love to continue. Anyway, before we kick things off today, don't forget to stick with us till the end, where we will be announcing the records that we're going to talk about on next week's show. So, if you listened last week, you will know that at the end of the show, we picked some records for one another. For myself, Sam picked Radiohead's magnum opus, OK Computer. Uh, for me, you picked Rocket to Russia by the Ramones. Awesome. And uh, I think we're going to start on that one today. Indeed. Right, so starting from the little bit of information that I have gathered about this record... Uh, Rocket to Russia was the third studio album by American punk rock band The Ramones. Uh, it came out on November the 4th in 1977. That's 42 years ago. That's quite a long time. Wow. wow. <laughs> when you think about it in I that mean... way, that's... I always think when I was a kid and you'd say, somebody had mentioned Ramones, you'd be like, oh my God, that's 20 years ago. No, try 40. It's crazy, isn't it? Because I used to think the same way about Black Sabbath. You know, like, looking back, I remember thinking, wow, that record's 40 years old. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds incredible. You know, and 40 used to be this 
huge number. You're like forty years old, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's an old record. It is, uh, and that was on Sire Records, uh, yes. and it dates back to the summer of 1977, which was known as the summer of punk rock. And it was 1977 when the song "Sheena Is a Punk Rocker" was released as a single. And did you know that that song is basically the first time that the word punk rock was used in a song? I did not know that. That's a really cool bit of information. It's pretty cool, isn't it? It's often disputed, but I mean, if anyone out there knows of any songs prior to this that actually mention the word punk rock in the song, let us know. But as far as I'm concerned, it's this one. Now, for this album, the band had a huge budget compared with anything they've done previously. Uh, I don't know whether anybody or yourself knows a lot about the very first album by uh, Ramones, and it's a rather, you know, it's a bad... It's a bad production. It's very primitive, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's one of those where you've got to sort of enjoy the music, and just sort of forget everything else about it. I'll tell you something. I mean, I was going to give you that first one to listen to, but I wanted you to kind of experience the Ramones at their peak, if you yeah, know what yeah. I mean. Like, I figure that first one, it captures who the Ramones are, but I don't know, man. I just wanted to go with this one because the production's there, you know, as you were saying. I know for a fact that the guys wanted to spend all of their money on production. Yeah. Uh, I don't know whether the first albums are done. I know quite a lot of the stuff in the sort of mid-70s, uh, especially this kind of genre, was done like a live recording. Yeah. I think, you know, everything. all the instruments were still like plugged into the, the desk, so to speak, uh, but they all played there and then. There was no like... Uh, tracking. Yeah, I mean, that first record, man, it's almost mono. I mean, you've got separate things at separate sides of your earphones. So if you were listening on one headphone, you would probably only hear like the bass and maybe just the guitar if you were listening on the other. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this one, it's definitely done with like a stereo image. So you get a bit of everything in the mix. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Just fuller. That's right. Uh, one thing I noticed about this album is you can listen to it damn fast. Yes. Uh, I first put this one on on my way home from work and it takes me about half an hour to get home from work, which was just the perfect amount of time to listen to the whole thing, uh, which has been really helpful for me this week. <laughs> All the songs are under three minutes long. Yeah. I thought I would look that up. It, I sort of imagined that that would be the case, but yeah, upon looking at it, they're all under three minutes long and every single song on here, in my opinion, is a three-card masterpiece. If you can bring three cards together and create such a huge album as this, then there's got to be something more to it than people saying it's basic. Yeah, of course. There's there's definitely an art to what they were doing on this record. Um, They definitely developed when it came to this record from, from where they were on the first one. I mean, there was plenty of catchy songs on those first two records, and I love them. But this one, man, it's just... It's, it's something else. Uh, and obviously, my first listen to this, I noticed there's two cover songs on this. Yeah. Now, we all know the Ramones love a good cover song. And what's what's cooler than punking up an old song? Uh, there's They've got Do You Want to Dance that was originally by Bobby Freeman. Classic, that one. Been covered by a lot of bands. That's right. And then even more of a classic, Surfing Bird by The Trash Men. I wish you'd do an impression of that right now, just in case <laughs> anyone didn't know what it sounded like. I really would. But unfortunately, I'm still bunged up. So I okay. just... I recommend you go and watch Family Guy and then you'll see that <laughs> Yes, this does feature somewhere in a Family Guy clip. We'll find it on YouTube. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, a huge me- mental illness theme throughout this album. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
where the band sort of focus on, well, it's youth, like the teenage. There's the song Teenage Lobotomy, yeah. which I always find, I know it's not a funny thing to laugh at, but I find it quite hilarious that the song just starts off with uh, Joey Ramone shouting, Lobotomy. Yeah, it's uh, crazy, isn't it? It's from In no other era, really, could you have, well, not got away with it, but it, it was just something the Ramones could do, and it didn't come across as, like, offensive. It just came across as yeah. kind of cartoony. But I guess that's what made that's what made them, you know, air quotes punk. Yeah, because you, you can say and do whatever you want in the genre of punk. Yeah, and I think they put a lot of humor into the lyrics, like a lot of sarcasm, a lot of wit. Yeah, that's right. Another theme to this album is it is so happy. I don't think there's a minor chord in the entire thing. First song on the album is called the, well, I called it the Cretin Hop. I think you've got it right there. They just kind of pronounce it but a little weird, don't yeah, they? Yeah, the, the Cretin Hop. <laughs> yes. And that's what they call the fans. So this song was an ode to the fans. Uh, Ramones fans are called Cretins, or Cretins, which I yep. really love. It's a little bit like uh, the Misfits have got the Fiends. Yep. And Lady Gaga has the monsters. She certainly does, yeah. I mean, it's it's always good to be inclusive, you know, and they were one of those cult bands, so to have, like, a kind of following like that and be able to name them and stuff, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's right. Can you Do you know any others that have got sort of a name for the fans? Man, I think you pretty much named them. I would have gone straight for the Misfits with the Fiends, really. There's one that's just popped into my head now is uh, the Maggots for Slipknot. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. I always used to think that was quite gross. I was like, hey, maggots. Yeah, you wouldn't really want to be a maggot. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, one cool thing about this album as well, I really love the front cover. I know it's really simple. It's just the band lent up against the wall. Yeah. The location of this, it was just taken outside the back doors of, uh, you know, CBGBs. Yep. CBGBs. CBGBs. Yeah, at the end of uh, Extra Place, and it's in a small alley. Uh, Northeast Street between Bowery and Second Avenue in New York. Yeah, near the the Bowery, which was very famous for a lot of bands. You know, the Ramones played at CBGB's, Blondie, all those kind of bands. So a really famous place to kind of have their photo taken, I guess. It was a it was a really popular T-shirt at one point as well. I remember a lot of people working around with that one on. Yeah, I think this is like the third time they did it as well. I mean, you've got the first one, the second one. They're all kind of just standing there, uh, but this one is is the most iconic, I'd say. Yeah. I found I actually found the information on this on uh, quite an interesting little bit of a a blog. It's on the yeah. NME website. Um, okay, we'll stick it in the show notes. There's, it sort of puts the the album arts in the place where they were taken. Oh right, that's uh, quite, amazing. Quite a few albums, so yes, it's a good one. That a really overwhelming theme that I think here. It sort of brings out the California surf sound. Yes. Do you think that's strange coming from a set of New York cretins? I do, but from what I know, the surf sound was kind of an ode to the 50s and 60s because Joey Ramone was such a big fan of that sound. So he really wanted to bring that sound in. And you can hear a lot of it. I mean, they, obviously they were they were influenced by the Stooges and the MC5 and maybe like the New York Dolls. I think they, they said that kind of thing. Yeah. But Joey... I remember watching a documentary and this guy just had so many records of like kind of the Phil Spector type girl groups. And, you know, I'm not surprised that it's got that kind of sun-kissed sound to it. Yeah, it's uh, it really shows through in uh, Rockaway Beach. That's oh, yeah. one of the, that's just, 
I don't know that that feels like it's got uh, Beach Boys written all over it to me. I think so. I think so, and it's it's quite telling, really. I mean, do you want a dance that they covered here? The Beach Boys actually did a cover of that themselves, so there's a lot of themes running through this record, a lot of hints at, at things. Yeah. What What do you think to Joey Ramone's vocal style? Um, it's funny, isn't it? Um, when I first heard his voice, I think I'd already kind of got used to the, you know, odd voices in punk rock. I'd heard Fat Mike from No Effects, you know. Um, so I was quite acclimatized to weird voices in punk. But at first, it kind of sounds kind of like a bit loppy and lazy. Uh, but I don't, I don't really know what else you'd put over the kind of like downpicked, intense style of of Johnny Ramone. Really, it's just yeah. it goes so well together, and I don't think that you'd initially think it would, but. It does. It's just, yeah, like I mentioned, he's got that 50s and 60s influence and almost a bit of rockabilly in there as well. Uh, so, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it is re- yeah I, get, I get the rockabilly thing there. That's, yeah. uh, that's a cool way of looking at it. Something else that, that was really big that I discovered about this album particularly was when it was being produced... Mm-hmm. Ramones wanted it to sound better than Nevermind the Bollocks by Sex Pistols. Yeah, I read this somewhere. Like they said to the to the engineer, you know, he said, "What do you what, what sound do you want?" And they yeah. were like, a, "A better sound than that record." We want it to sound better than the Sex Pistols. Uh, yes. So obviously, upon reading that, I looked further into this, and there was a bit of a a war going on. But the more and more you read, you feel like the war was sort of a little bit one sided, a little bit like Ramones had a bigger issue with Sex Pistols than vice versa. You think so? Yeah. Uh, It was quoted by one of them, I don't know whether it was Johnny Ramone, of saying that the Sex Pistols absolutely ripped them off. Yeah. I think Johnny Ramone was quite a militant type of guy, wasn't he? He kind of, he was the kind of, the strictest one within the band, so... If if anyone was going to say, you guys ripped us off, are you still our sound? It was going to be him. Yeah, it, it did feel a little bit like it was his... Just his main aim anyway, especially, was just to be better than the Sex Pistols and more successful in the end. In the long run, they were. Of course. I, I think, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, Sex Pistols, one album, and, and they lasted uh, a little while there, but obviously the Ramones completely and utterly outlived uh, their career, the Sex Pistols' career. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, thing, the, thing, the main theme about this really is that they both come under the genre of punk. After talking about the rivalry between the two bands... Do you think the two bands are actually that similar? Um, okay, so I don't know exactly how much the bands have in common. I mean, there's there's a lot behind saying the Ramones came at least a year or so before the Pistols. Oh, they so were they'd first. put out two records. Yeah, yeah, they were first. They'd put out two records before the Pistols came along. But I feel like they're from totally different scenes. Like, the Pistols have got this kind of like rock and roll pub sound. I mean, you associate them with punk, but you listen to them... And it's like da 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 and da da in the guitars. You know what I mean? It's yeah. almost like really slow status quo or something. It's just Johnny Rotten that gives them that snarl. Um, but the Ramones are much more pop influence, I think. I mean, you've got that intense guitar sound, but when you listen to those melodies, I just think they were a much more poppy band. Really, uh, the Sex Pistols were really outspoken, and it was all about kind of shock and anti-society. And from reading up on the Ramones, they were just four dudes who liked the Stooges, like I said, and just wanted to play music. Uh, they sung about a lot more cartoony, yeah. humorous things. I think that's that's the that is the difference, isn't it? I think the Sex yeah. Pistols were, took themselves far much more seriously than the Ramones did. Totally, yeah. They obviously had an agenda there, really, and I think 
the Ramones, if anything, didn't really have an agenda. They just wanted to... They definitely, by like a certain point in their career, wanted to write great songs, where I think the Sex Pistols thought that they wrote great songs, and, and they did. But their agenda was more, you know, getting screw everybody across. that's in our way. Yeah, getting a message across. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Okay, so moving on from that, how do you define the genre punk? Oh, man, I mean... It's God, so that's such a, a difficult one right let me just point you in a direction do you think that it's more about the musical style or do you think it's more about the content it's it's crazy isn't it because it's so it's such a sprawling concept like it's at first it started out like an aesthetic didn't it like a mindset based around freedom of thought and speech and of ideas that kind of thing i mean so many genres in it, it it's kind of got multiple styles you know it was a rebellion against what people thought was the musical status quo as well and not status quo themselves but like prog rock and kind of the stale music of the 70s yeah so it kind of went against everything it went against music fashion society whereas you know the ramones they came along and they just played this almost caveman like rock music and it sounded like nothing else at the time and it had its roots, as I mentioned, in, in 50s and 60s uh, kind of pop. Yeah. So there was always that melody to hang on to. So when you're talking about punk, originally, it's definitely a mindset, I'd say. But it's it's moved on, as you know, to be so many different things. What about you? How do you define punk? I used to think that it had to be political. Yeah. Um, but of course, that that's not the case, is it? Um, well, no. Because, well, the Ramones... Okay, I'm going to go out there now and say Ramones were the first ever punk band. Uh, I think there's an, there's an element of truth in that, yes. I mean, if you don't count a couple of bands that influenced them, um, who were probably a bit more garage rock or garage yeah. rock, rock, whatever you want to call it, um, yes, yeah. I would agree. And they don't have an overwhelming political agenda. No. So therefore, I would have to say that punk should be defined by the sound. Yeah. And perhaps I, I, perhaps even the attitude of the music. When you look at it like that, it's a rebellion, isn't it? Yeah. Punk is a rebellion. Um, it's, it is anarchy, but it doesn't have to be political anarchy, really. Um, I mean, the Ramones were known for playing 40-minute sets, arguing for 20 of those minutes between each other, and then playing 20 minutes of songs. I mean, that's chaos within a band. Yeah. So that's still got that punk aesthetic there. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the Pistols, you know, even talking about other bands like The Clash, you know, still political, still trying to get a message across. So I think we're talking about different sides of, of the of the Atlantic, really. That's right. Uh, yeah. The definition of punk, in my eyes. Anyway. Yeah, I think that, yeah, in fact, you've just put, hit the nail on the head there, haven't you? I think UK political America attitude. Yeah, obviously, later on, you had hardcore bands trying to get across political points and stuff like that, but that was a little bit later on. Yeah. What you're talking about is the initial kind of birth of punk, yeah. and I think you've, you've got it right there. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Uh, we've gone off on a massive tangent there. That's we my have. fault. Um, going back to the album, just before we finish up, I just want to say a couple of things about my favourite tracks. Uh, okay. Really love Rockaway Beach, and I've played this album so much since you gave it to me. I love it. I think it's one of the best albums I've ever heard. And it's it's definitely in my, you know, top... God, I like so many, I'm going to say top 50. Um, okay. But yeah, Rockaway Beach, that's a really awesome song. My kids love it. 
Sheena is a punk rocker, of course, another one. The kids love it. They sing along in the car. And that really warms my heart to know that my kids uh, really enjoy something that was recorded in 1977. Yeah, man. I mean, it is that kind of... I mean, you know, I'm not saying that just because kids like it, it's got to be, but, like, it is that kind of um, almost nursery rhyme, very kind of simple, easy-to-sing-along music, yeah, isn't it? So exactly, anyone yeah. can pick it up. Oh, and yeah. it's so enjoyable in that nature as well that you just... Anyone will love it if they hear it, I think. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. Um, there is one slower track on the album. Uh, yeah. Here Today, Gone Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of Morrissey. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. The whole world, but yeah, it does. I love that song too. And, and if there's one thing that's misunderstood about the Ramones, I think, is that there was no depth. This band, with, with like maybe one verse, could do a lot more than a lot of bands did in whole songs uh, because they made you feel things and they just used lyrics to kind of underpin that feeling. And like you said on that um, that particular song, yeah, you, you understood what it was about straight away. Too right. Uh, that's about me done for that one. But like I said to you, after listening to that, that's one of my favourite albums I've ever listened to. It's well up there. I'm going to listen to it so many more times. I'm going to stick it on. It's a great album to listen to in the garden with the barbecue uh, and have a party. Have a party with the Ramones. You think the neighbours will like it, man? I don't give a crap what they think <laughs> and that's what the Ramones would want you to say so that is awesome <laughs> the mystery record club is available on all good podcast platforms but you probably know that because you're listening right now also you can head over to our twitter which is twitter.com slash mystery rec club and soundcloud which is soundcloud.com slash mystery record club Right, so let's talk about Radiohead's OK Computer. So um, OK Computer is album number three from English rock band Radiohead. It was released in June 1997, and it was their third record for Parlophone Capital Records. Um, It's a record that appears on many musical publication lists and, you know, as one of the best albums of the 90s and on quite a lot, like the best albums of all time, which after listening to it, well... I'll, I'll let you guys know at the end anyway. Um, but you've done it again, dude. You've given me an album that's considered a total classic and that I've never really paid much attention to. Um, I reckon the reason I haven't checked it out is because I had a bit of a predefined idea about what Radiohead sounded like. And I'm pleased to say I was so wrong on on this front. And I'm starting to consider you a bit of a musical guide, to be fair, dude. I really am. So keep throwing these at me, please. I always, <laughs> um, I always feel like... Where we've come from different sides of the pond when it comes to picking albums. Yeah, but that's a good thing because that means this thing could go on forever. So we're all good, man. We're we're all good on that front. Um, not to stick to a formula on the show, but last week we spoke about Blur's Park Life, and that was a third album by Blur, and that album was like the culmination of their sound up until that point. Now. OK Computer is also Radiohead's third album, and I feel like this, in the same way, the band built on a lot of their past releases, but it also completely rewrote the way rock music could be written, in my opinion. Um, it totally divided opinion between their fan base, but it definitely saw them reach new levels of success. I read up a little bit on the band, and it seems like there is definitely fans who think the uh, previous album, The Bends, which came out in 1995, is their best effort. And then there are those who think this is the one. 
I can totally see why. The Benz is like a little bit more rocking, has popular tracks like Street Spirit and Fake Plastic Trees, and it kind of sees them moving away from that grungier sound of their debut album, Pablo Honey. Uh, But on OK Computer, they left a lot more of the kind of rock sounds behind in favor of a bit more of an experimental approach. Now, I've got to ask you, Sam, um, and this may be a really obvious question, but where do you fall in the whole The Benz OK Computer debate and why? Right, I think I would certainly regard, personally, OK Computer to be the better of the two albums. Um, okay. It's only my personal opinion. I'm not going to tell you that is the better. Uh, I felt the, the singles had um, a more experimental uh, nature on yes. this, on OK Computer, than on The Benz. Like you say, The Benz is a pretty damn solid rock album. But OK Computer for me was my favourite, and in the family there was a little bit of a war because my dad's favourite is The Benz. Really? So have you heard this from when it came out, this this record from, from 97? Yeah, yeah. And The Benz was one that was always on, on top of the cabinet, uh, you know, before OK Computer came out. And I heard that one, I've probably listened to that a lot more than I have OK Computer, but just the songs on this one make me feel more okay well we will come back to that word feel a little bit later on because i've got something for you there um just to say a bit more about the record the beginnings of this album actually started out when famous producer brian eno asked the band to contribute a song for the war child charity album um they worked really hard and came up with the track lucky which would go on to appear on okay computer um but that kind of set the ball rolling for everything what i find interesting is that a lot of people consider this to be a concept album even though the band have said it's not and i can see why there's a lot of this whole dystopian you know n- technology and ideas of how it'll exist alongside us in the future mental health and death (laughs) um the band have gone on to say it's more a case of every song being like a little bit of a snapshot of things around them at the time moving too fast uh sam going back to what we said before you are way more of a feel person than me i tend to look quite deep into the lyrics and you tend to pick up on vibes a lot more how does this one make you feel okay so quite a few times throughout this album it gives you a pretty high feeling um there's a lot of really cool, heavy guitar riffs in this album and where you can't help. You know, I, I listen to a lot of music in the car and I'm not a dangerous driver by any means, but it, it's, listening to this album, I will quite often bop the old head. Um, so, and I, you know, I think a lot of the riffs uh, on, you know, songs like uh, Karma Police, it's a slower song. But just the the chord progression and that, like it sort of gives you that. Sometimes it gives you a goosebumpy feeling. I totally uh, get you. Yeah. And of course, the heavy guitar parts in Paranoid Android, that also gives you the goosebumps, but for a very different reason. There are also a lot of really like melancholy feels in this album too. You can go from a complete and utter high to feeling like you need to curl up in a ball. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. that's I, that's just that's the feel of the album. You you're on a, it's up and down, up and down. I feel like that's kind of intentional. You know, I think that they really thought like maybe the last couple of albums they things just happened, things just came out the way that 
they, they played them and, and they recorded them and, and that was that. But I feel like everything here is really calculated to make people feel something. And I feel that's why, you know, you enjoy this because you get, you, we've spoken about this before, haven't we? You get a lot of vibes from records and, and, and you know, I, I totally understood why you picked this record for me. Um, it's really interesting that you said about riffs as well because the album kicks off with a big, fat, heavy guitar part on the song Airbag. Now, as I said, I had a totally preconceived idea about these guys and sweet, sweet riffs were not part of that at all. Um, there's so many cool things about this song, Airbag, um, as an opener. It's like a mash of, of guitar riffs, electronic drum loops, and last thing that I noticed about this and, and the thing that I love the most is this super cool kind of stop-starty bass line that gives the song a really great groove and it's almost like hip-hoppy in a way. There's so much thrown in here. The song itself is about Tom York surviving a car crash and he says in, in the actual lyrics, in a fast German car, I'm amazed that I survived, an airbag saved my life. A lot of people had talked to him about these lyrics, asking about, you know, exactly the situation. And he's gone on to say, um, I was really frightened of cars back then, I guess when they were writing the record. But airbag was almost the exact opposite of that. Uh, if you get into a crash or a potentially disastrous situation and walk away, you feel a thousand times more alive, regardless of what that is. And I totally get that with the chorus of this one, where he, I believe he says, I'm back to save the universe. So obviously he's relating that experience of being in a car crash and coming back from it and feeling elated like he can do anything. Um, so powerful. And as an opener, I loved it. And I was so surprised. And it really, really sets the scene. Uh, what do you think of this one as an opening track? It's a really strong, it is a really strong opener, this one. I think it sort of gives you a taste of what's to come uh, later on in the album. And again, it's like you said, that those the drum, the drum patterns are, they are. beautiful in this song. Um, I don't know whether you noticed as well, there's like an orchestra in the background. I don't know if is it a cello playing at some parts during this song. It sort of says to you, hello, we're Radiohead and we can do whatever we want. And we're going to do it on this album. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head here. I mean, it, it's been described, and I can't remember the exact quote, but like as an electronic, um, almost an electronic album that was played by a band. Yeah. And I totally get that vibe and I got it straight away because you got that big riff, but then you got all these things that don't necessarily fit along with the conventional idea of like, you know, music played by four guys in a band. Have you ever I, seen Radiohead live? I haven't. Have you? I have, yeah. I saw them at the Leeds Festival. I don't know what year it was. Everybody in the, everybody in the audience is, you know, waiting for, uh, you know, no surprises and karma police, you know, all the big ones creep. Yeah. Uh, and they sort of did an almost fully electronic set and it was amazing and it was a light show with this sort of like electronic music and just showed the other side to them would that have been around the time of that they released uh, Kid A or anything like that because I know that that uh, was the, the next record after this and pe they went a little bit more you know fully into that electronic zone I think it was around the time they released In Rainbows but okay. again that's another yeah very sort of electronic album okay cool Um, I mean I've I've got friends who have seen Radiohead and and they describe it like you know no other live band like it's it's just a, an immersive show. Yeah, it sort of gave me this, a similar feeling to when I'd seen uh, Nine Inch Nails. I know yeah. it's a strange comparison, but sort of the huge sound that they bring across. I get the feeling it might be the same way seeing a band like Tool, you know, that kind of go yeah. out there and they, they, it's kind of like they've got a more arty side to them as well. So you you're immersed in everything in the atmosphere as well as just the music. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm probably not going to go into like finite detail about every track on this record, but the second track, and you've already mentioned it, Paranoid Android needs to be spoken about. It was the lead single from OK Computer. Um, now this song in places is, is one of the more rocking moments on the album. I'm probably going to say the word rocking a lot. Um, because I can't think of any other way to describe songs like this. At the heart of the song is this fantastic guitar riff. It kind of sounds almost Mission Impossible-like in its progression, but the song doesn't exist in like a regular verse-chorus format in the way that like a conventional single would. It uses like different musical sections to get to and then return to that main riff. I think my favorite parts about this song, as well, are like it's got it's got so many. I think it's got four main sections that I identified, but it's got this cool choral section where uh, Tom York's, he starts singing From a Great Height, which yeah. also kind of reminds me of, of the song The Sky is Falling by Queens of the Stone Age, um, but I digress. Which So that, that part really brings a song down before it explodes back into this just nasty guitar solo, which I didn't see coming, again, from a band that I envisioned didn't do this kind of thing. And another little fact that I found out as well is this song being like a multi-part song was kind of inspired by the song Happiness is a Warm Gun by the Beatles, uh, which is for all White Album fans out there. It's like this multi-part John Lennon song. Uh, so that kind of explains the the odd structure. I've read that this song is actually about Tom York being on a, on a night out and he experienced a woman getting really aggressive after somebody spilled a drink on her. He described her as looking inhuman and that he wasn't able to sleep that night because of the events that took place. Um, after I read this, I felt a bit weird because I've seen loads of people get drinks spilled on them and I've had plenty of drinks spilled on me, but I've never been described as inhuman. Um, or, you know, I've never... I don't think I've ever not slept at night after seeing something like that. So it must have been a pretty crazy thing. And from the, the sounds of this song, you know, it, it, it must have been an intense event for him. And yeah. You know, it's... Yeah, I always, uh, I always think it's brilliant how it's always the best artist that can write a song uh, about anything. That's anything it. Anything at all. He should come to. He should come to Doncaster on a Saturday night. He'd, he'd have so much inspiration. Oh, wouldn't he just, man? Wouldn't he just? <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you as well. Um, Radiohead made a massive switch up here in sound uh, since their last album. Do you think releasing Paranoid Android as their first single is like a risky move? Okay, I'm going to sort of answer that with a rhetorical question, okay. uh, and then I will elaborate. So do you think it was risky for Queen to release Bohemian Rhapsody as a single? Personally, I think people that hear sort of a masterpiece of a song like this, I know it's this is a really progressive song as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they, you know, it, it's something completely different, and I think it makes people want to buy into that, and it makes people want to buy into the album. It's always a risk to release something that's completely different from what people are used to. But again, going back to Bohemian Rhapsody, nobody had ever heard anything like that before. Uh, and I don't think anybody had ever heard anything like Paranoid Android before. That's a, that is an excellent point, man. The best answer I could th I could think of, and I didn't see that coming. So, yeah, man. I mean, I guess if you're looking for depth in music this as a single would have hit you and you would have gone, oh, that's interesting. I want to hear what the rest of it's like. So, yeah, I I, I think that they wanted to do something risky after the bends. I think that their, their, their kind of main aim was to do something unconventional and releasing this as their lead single yeah. certainly was that. I think, I think intrigue is what dragged people into it. Totally. 
totally. And this album is full of it, even after you've listened to it a couple of times. So it makes you want to listen to it over and over again. I think something that you mentioned earlier on is that despite like the, a lot of chaos going on in the songs, there's some really angelic sounds going on as well. I absolutely love the song Let Down. It's it's the kind of song that just... And I've got written here the most pretentious thing ever, so feel free to laugh. It kind of drifts past on a cloud of serenity. <laughs> <laughs> so the vocals are really gentle, and it's got loads of like high guitar arpeggios, which is something they do a lot on this record. Uh, the chorus is probably the first one that hit me as as like truly catchy and accessible. I was I, I was humming this, and I, I remember Beth humming it as well. And whether she's heard this record before, I don't know, but we were both humming it in the kitchen. It's got great harmonies too. I feel like this song's the kind of tune that could have inspired bands like The Shins as well. And I, I even get the feeling that it maybe had an impact on like indie rock bands that came later like Travis and Coldplay, which they in turn kind of turned that sound into a more mainstream stadium-ready thing. What do you reckon to that comparison? Yeah, I think when you do compare it to bands like Travis and Coldplay, uh, there was a, an era maybe 10 years ago where every band was like that. Yeah. And I think you'd probably have to say that every single band was influenced by these kind of Radiohead songs. But had anything like that been done before, Again, you've got to say that, you know, this is a, a brilliant song and it's just unique. And I think a lot of the stuff on this album is unique. Totally. Um, and speaking of uniqueness, I think something that stood out to me is that upon reading a lot about this, when people first heard this, they they kind of said, well, there's no singles on this record. You know, without hearing, obviously, the lead singles and whatnot, they, they said, it doesn't sound like there's anything, you know, catchy or with a massive hook on it like your previous albums i mean i get that after one listen there's a lot of layers and there's a lot to unravel but i mean no surprises i mean <laughs> if that doesn't straight away come off as like single material the first time you hear it I, I don't know what it does um it's it's just absolutely beautiful it's got this innocence about it it's got again a beautiful arpeggio going on just a stunning vocal melody it's easily one of the more commercial sounding tracks here. And talking of commercial, this album did super well. I mean, it went to number one in the UK. It went to number 21 in the US. And I think with a lot of interesting albums, the memorable moments are there, kind of front and centre. But the more and more you listen to it, the more you find little things that you hook onto and you, you'll remember, you know, for like the live shows and whatnot. Uh, so I just want to ask you, in terms of albums that kind of unravel um, with multiple listens, are you a fan of that kind of thing? And, and can you think of any other records that do the same thing for you? Uh, especially after having started this podcast with you, it, it happens a lot when you listen to... You can listen to anything, really, and each time is you find something different. Uh, if I was going to point something out, I would probably say uh, an album like Parklife. That, that's, yeah. that's one that each time you listen, you hear something new. I think so. I mean, this one reminded me of back in the day when I say about that, maybe about the year 2000, which is not maybe everybody's back in the day, but um, I kept hearing this song called uh, One Arm Scissor by At The Drive-In and I hated that song, man. And it was on Kerrang! Kerrang TV all the time, right? Hated it. I have no idea why, but someone bought me that record. I listened to that record and first time did nothing for me. 
But I, I, I was I was intent on knowing why everyone loved this so much. So I listened to it like five more times and oh my god. Uh, the album itself, Relationship of Command, just it just sprung out at me. There was just so much there after three, four, five listens. So there are albums out there that do that and it's amazing. That's that's part of like the musical experience, I guess. I just gotta say one arm scissor is an absolute banger. It really is, and that's you know that's not me saying that uh, to agree with anybody. But when I first heard it, I just didn't like it, and I don't know what it was. I was probably into something else at the time. It wasn't a sound that connected with me. But the more and more I listened to that album, because it was a gift, the more it just clicked, and and it's probably one of my favorite records of all time now. Uh, so I love those kind of records and you know it doesn't always happen like that because you've got Rocket to Russia which is just a, a smack in the face it gets you straight away yeah but yeah continuing on about this one um, this album works super well at like kind of projecting images into your mind like based on the lyrics I mean the lyrics they're not really specific but they're never really massively descriptive of exactly what's going on so you've got songs like Subterranean Homesick Alien which is an amazing uh, song title I think it's based on the Bob Dylan song um and that song's supposedly about being abducted by aliens and kind of taking pleasure in that and it's music and lyrics create this weird hazy sound this this uh, you know dreamy atmosphere and on the flip side of that you got songs like climbing up the walls which is another one of my favorites um where tom mentions it's about the time that you worked in a mental hospital and it was around the time that this scheme called care in the community started which was a scheme where a lot of mental health patients were released to home care whether they were kind of fit to be released or not and he found that whole experience very scary and he wrote a song about it and as you can tell it's quite a dark and brooding song climbing up the walls and it it kind of it lifts off the ground into this deafening noisy song at the end and it it just conjures up all these images in your head of exactly what he was thinking at the time uh working in this mental hospital and and you know what was going on at the time i want to ask you have you ever taken a look at the lyrics on this record and what do you make of Tom York's lyrical style? As for looking at the lyrics, no, I haven't. Uh, I'll hold my hands up to that one. I mean, in ju- I, lyrical style, I don't necessarily mean you looking into lyrics and finding what they mean, like in terms of how they make you feel when you hear them. You, mean, you sort of mean the way that he puts across the lyrics. Or the, like I say, the, when, the when you get imagery. Style. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Again, like with a lot on this album, I think it's unique and uh, swaying more into the the vocal style rather than the lyrical style. It's original. You know, I'm not going to yeah. go and delve into where he's got this style from, but I, I'd not heard anything like that before. Yeah, yeah, I, I can understand that. And to this day, I haven't either. Even saying that I had a preconceived idea of what Radiohead were like, I still haven't heard anything like this um, and listening to his lyrical style, the way he sings. I've not heard anyone be able to paint pictures the way he does. Um, regardless of what I read up about the lyrics, I was still always thinking to myself, oh, is that about that? Or is that about that? So he does a great job on that. I mean, to me, this whole record, it's its hard to not want to talk about every song in great detail because there's so many great moments, but that would take like two or three shows. So, I mean... What more can be said about Karma Police that you didn't already say? It's just an amazing song. It's got that great tagline. This is what you'll get when you mess with us. It's just great. There's a song on there called Electioneering, which 
I don't know. For some reason, it makes me think Josh Holm was listening to it. Josh Homme, sorry, uh, was listening to it when he split up with uh, Caius. Uh, because there's so many kinds of like Queens of the Stone Age hints in that song. And it's a, it's it's probably the most rocking <laughs> moments um, on, on the record. So yeah, there's so much depth and I don't know, so much feeling in this record. It sometimes feels like it's bursting at the seams. I got to say, favorite song is uh, hands down, it is Let Down though, because... It's just, it's just got that feel into it. You described it as like kind of, you know, there's the mo- there's all different moods in this record, and this is one of those more angelic, lovely songs. And I kind of fell in love with it even more when I learned it, it was, um, it was based on the whole Phil Spector wall of sound technique, which is where you track all the instruments up until it's just one big wall of sound, yeah. and you can't really pick anything out. And yeah, I was, I was surprised at that. Uh, do you have a favourite from this record and why? It's always really difficult to pick a favourite, isn't it, when there's so many amazing songs? Yeah. Um, Paranoid Android. Yeah. It, it's got to be. Um, Hard to be. It's just such a unique song, such an original idea. And as you know, I'm always really into progressive style songs. So, yeah. yeah. Paranoid Android. Yeah, and I think mentioning that, this record... You know, while not being particularly progressive rock, has a lot of elements of that, like layered music, like layered guitars, layered synths, all that kind of thing going on. So it definitely has a progressive element to it. I I think summarizing this, my last thoughts would be by the last track, which is called The Tourist, and it's like this slow, jazzy song. It's got Tom York kind of begging himself to slow down. You kind of realize this is definitely not the same band that wrote The Bends and totally not the same band that wrote Pablo Honey. It's It's got this progression of sounds and it will probably sound like a cliche, but it definitely sounds like a band stepping out of its own shadow. Another thing I was interested in, in learning is that OK Computer was modeled after, well, some of the sounds on it were modeled after pet sounds by the Beach Boys. And I think when you listen to stuff like No Surprises, you can definitely hear that with that kind of like, I don't know if it's a xylophone or like a music box sound in there. Yeah. It's it's just beautiful. And it's got that soundscapey texture. It's an album that I think, with it being influenced by so many important artists from the past who created big sounds, it then went on to influence loads of other artists later on that kind of came after this album. And it, it helped people see just what four dudes with a bunch of instruments could do. Even listening to this only a handful of times, I find I find <laughs> it makes a lot of the music that I've listened to before quite boring because <laughs> it's just so interesting. It's it's a lot of the things that I would look for in music, and I'm really glad that you introduced me to this one, dude. So thank you very much. I'm really, really glad you enjoyed it. Well, there you go. OK Computer and Rocket to Russia ticked off the mystery record list. With that said, let's find out what records we've picked for each other to listen to on the next show. Now, I think it's worth mentioning that as it's festival season, Sam had an ingenious idea for the next show of picking a live album for each other, which I think is super interesting. So hit me, Sam. Which live album will I be listening to for the next show? As always, really, really hard pick. There's there's some live albums that I've listened to in the past that aren't actually available anymore unless you can find the hard copy. Okay. Um, now, the one I've picked for you is is Legendary, and it's from the 1960s. Uh, and it's Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison. Wow. I've heard a lot about that one, man. Very interesting looking into it. Um, 
and the record that I've picked for you is a real classic uh, of live albums. It may be one you've heard before, it may not, but it is Live and Dangerous by Thin Lizzy. Hey. Yes. So before we head off, uh, we'd like to give a shout out to a friend of the show, uh, Elizabeth Everts, and that's spelled E-V-E-R-T-S, who only last week released her excellent new record, Contraband. I love this record. Um, I, I think you've heard it too, Sam, and you dig it. It's a great mix of like horn and piano and, you know, dreamy vocals. So if that's your bag, check her out on Spotify and follow her on Instagram for more details of like future releases and other things she's got going on. She's supported the show from episode one and she makes excellent music. So give it a go. And I'd just like to mention another quick shout out as well to another excellent female musician, uh, Gigi Fern. Uh, and she's just recently released a new EP this week called Black Mirror. And I listened to it on the way to the shops in the car the other day. And i got to say, it really, really perked me ears up. So that's well worth a listen. You can find her on Spotify. You can find her on Twitter. That's GG Fern, F-E-A-R-N. We'll definitely be listening to more of those guys over the coming weeks. Well, that's it for this week. Don't forget to chat to us at twitter.com slash club and instagram.com slash club, as well as tuning in to this show and our brand new Talking Points show, which is available on all good podcast platforms. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Mystery Record Club. <laughs>